For your next vacation spot, check out Texas for their vast landscape of culture, regions, destinations, and activities. Explore 350 miles of coastline and every kind of hiking trail, from strenuous to wheelchair accessible. Enjoy world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. Travel Texas even offers an online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. Vacations are always good. Sometimes they're even great. And Celebrity Cruises is about to ruin all of that. Because once you explore with us, you'll never want a vacation any other way. And with new Quick Caribbean Escapes, you'll never want a weekend any other way either. Celebrity Cruises. Nothing comes close. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Ships Registry, Malta and Ecuador. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Dylan here. Today, we want to share a Thanksgiving-adjacent story related to drink, such a food and drink holiday. We thought this would be a good time to share this. And this story comes from our friends at The Sporkful. One of our editors, Tracy Samuelson, and one of our producers, Johanna Mayer, both worked on this episode for The Sporkful. And when they told us about it, we got pretty excited because it's exactly the kind of story we love. It, it all starts with a mysterious bottle of whiskey. Who made it? Where did it come from? And then it leads us on this crazy quest through history, through these amazing characters, to a bar that has been closed down for years. At its heart, this story is about the legacy of a very specific place. So we asked the folks at Sporkful if they would share it with us. They said, sure. And so here it is. We are thrilled to bring you part one of a New Jersey whiskey mystery. A lot of like antique type of um, things that we saw. Grandfather clocks, right? So that type of vibe. Craftsman staircase. I'm picturing like a thick olive green carpet. (laughs) (laughs) There might have been there. There might have been there. (laughs) This is Akil and Nisha Dial. They're married and they love going to estate sales. That's when people sell off the belongings of someone who's died. Over the years, they picked up some pretty cool stuff. Mostly nice artwork. Back in 2016, they're at an estate sale in Wyckoff, New Jersey, in the New York City suburbs, and they're poking around, searching for treasures. What conclusions could you draw about this guy who had died? Well-read, well, almost traveled in a sense, uh, very worldly. You know, the quiet, cultured, you know, someone who likes to sit around with a a nice glass and have a drink. Old gentleman has a robe on, sits back, you know, in the evening, drinking his whiskey, sitting in front of the grandfather clock, smoking a cigar. Nisha and Akil spot a liquor table in the corner. It's got a lot of items you'd expect from a well-stocked bar. Remy Martin, Corvassier, a few bottles of champagne. Then we came across this particular one. Did not know if it looked, you know, old, vintage. Yeah, it definitely looked older. It's a Ray Pavlik private stock, blended Scotch whiskey, distilled in Scotland, imported exclusively for the Nutcracker Inn in Garfield, New Jersey. Nisha and Akil have never heard of Ray Pavlik Scotch whiskey. The bottle is green glass with a yellowed label and fancy font. It looks kind of like how they write the New York Times. The bottle's open. It's about half full. Not unusual for an estate sale. You know, we weren't 
you know, connoisseurs of whiskey, but we knew that age matters. So we figured, okay, this one looks old, looks vintage. It was very different. Right. You know, it wasn't something you could just buy at the store. Nisha and Akil buy the bottle for about 15 bucks. They may not be huge whiskey drinkers, but they are collectors. They bring it home. And because they're in the process of moving, we brought it in and kind of stored it in our closet, uh, where one day, <laughs> when we get older, we'll, we'll crack open these bottles. <laughs> one day you'll sit in your robes by the fireplace with the grandfather clock and drink scotch. <laughs> <Yeah>. Exactly. <laughs> that closet is where the bottle stays for five years. Akil and Nisha never have a single sip of it. Then, about a year ago, they have a friend over, and this friend actually is a whiskey connoisseur. They remember that bottle of Ray Pavlik private stock and pull it out to show him. Immediately he says, I don't recognize this brand. So first thing that you do, start Googling it and still no results. Wait, wait. you Googled this scotch and there were zero results? There were, there were zero results. So d- did you Google the in? I actually didn't think to. Remember, the label says this whiskey was bottled exclusively for the Nutcracker Inn. The Nutcracker Inn in Garfield, New Jersey. Hang on one sec. Nutcracker in, nope, it's not coming up. Mm. Yeah, I don't see it either. Wow. The address is uh, 237 Palisade Avenue in Garfield. 237 Palisade Avenue, Garfield, New Jersey. No business is coming up. I'm on Google Earth right now. 235 is Leon's Kitchen Chinese Restaurant. What's this one? Nope. That's 239. Wait a second. The Chinese Restaurant... Is 235 Palisade Avenue, Garfield, New Jersey. The very next house, 239. There is no 237 Palisade Avenue in Garfield, New Jersey. (laughs) Whoa. I just got chills. Did you just get chills? So, we've got a bottle of scotch that Nisha and Akil bought off a dead guy. As far as the internet knows, the brand, Ray Pavlik Private Stock, doesn't exist. And the inn for which it was bottled is at a location that doesn't show up on maps. Finding this bottle feels like catching a ghost. Where did it come from? How did it get here? What's its life story? And what does it taste like? I am determined to find out. This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. Today, we're attempting to solve a whiskey mystery. I ask Akil and Nisha to get me any details they can recall about the house where they bought the bottle. If we can find the identity of the dead guy, he might have friends or relatives with clues. Nisha and Akil also agree to look into the bottling company named on the back label. I tell them I'll dig into the Ray Pavlik brand and the Nutcracker Inn. All right, sounds good. That sounds great. Now, I'm no whiskey expert, but I do know a couple things. Scotch is a type of whiskey that must come from Scotland. The fanciest, most expensive scotch is single malt, meaning everything in the bottle was aged in a single barrel. A blend can be a mix of whiskeys from different barrels. Blends are usually considered lower shelf, and this Ray Pavlik Scotch whiskey is a blend. So I don't think it's very valuable. But to me, that makes this more intriguing. Like, why would this person who lives in a house with a grandfather clock and a craftsman staircase hang on to a cheap, no-name bottle of scotch, save it seemingly for decades among all the fancy bottles? As I begin my search for answers, the first person I think of is my friend Noah Rothbaum. He's been writing about spirits for nearly 20 years. I send him photos of the label. 
He writes back right away and asks for more photos. He wants to see the tax stamp on the bottle. That's usually the little paper seal that breaks when you twist off the cap. I have no idea why he would want that, but the fact that he knows to ask for it makes me think I've come to the right person. I get a photo of it from Akil and Nisha, send it along, and wait. Meanwhile, I start looking into the Nutcracker Inn and the mysterious 237 Palisade Ave address. And I know just who to call about that. Hi. Hey, so quick question for you. Um, I'm working on a Sporkful episode, and I thought maybe you would like to be a part of it and help out with it. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> So this couple, this is my brother, Howard. He's a lawyer in New Jersey who does some work with property law and he's got a PhD in history. So he knows a thing or two about searching through old records. Frankly, he's perfect for this assignment. I bring him up to speed. He sits down in front of his laptop and begins poking around. I can tell he's very excited for our mission. Let's see. Uh, would that be it? <laughs> Let's see. All right. That doesn't help. Are you just Googling, or are you looking through some sort no. of special historian archive database? It's a special archive that only I've, I have access to as a, someone who has a PhD. Seriously? No, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> Howard clicks around, looks at the county clerk's website, then the county land records. Eventually, he lands on a local tax assessor's website and navigates to the section that says Tax Parcel Viewer. He pulls up a map of Palisade Ave and zooms in looking for some trace of 237. If we were in CSI, this is the moment where he'd be in front of the computer and I'd be over his shoulder being like, enhance, enhance. Something catches his eye. The lot for 235 is exactly twice as big as all the others. It's a double lot. It's possible that the lots were combined. You know, it's possible that that doesn't exist anymore. The reason you can't find it uh, is that it was essentially combined with another lot at some point. So so what is now 235, like that same building or piece of land, could, could be where the inn was? Exactly. It's not that strange that the lots may have been combined. Um, you know, the inn, if it went under a long time ago, or who knows, maybe it was imported as a joke. Maybe there really wasn't a nutcracker inn. Maybe it was just somebody who liked scotch who always invited their friends over for, you know, poker night on Fridays or something like that, and they called themselves the Nutcracker Inn. So it's possible there was never actually a Nutcracker Inn to begin with. This is what it's like being in a family of lawyers. Everyone's like, is this reality? Are we even alive? I can't commit to an answer. Me, I'm still optimistic. I call the Garfield town historian, thinking they might have details on all this. I leave a few messages. Then I check back in with Nisha and Akil. They must have some good news for me, right? Nope. The bottling company, long closed. The exact location of the estate sale, they can't remember it. Nisha does have the name of the company that hosted the sale, but after a month of phone tag with them, we hear back and they lost the records. So then I think, hey, usually after an estate sale, the house is sold, right? Maybe we can get a list of all the houses sold in the area and look through obituaries from the same time period that we can cross-reference them and narrow it down. But we quickly realize we do not have the time or resources for that kind of investigation. At this point, we basically have a cork board with photos of whiskey bottles, Google Maps searches, and property records. Strings of red yarn all over the place, none of them leading anywhere. And then... This bottle is more interesting than most that people ask me about. 
You'll recall I outsourced some of my sleuthing to Noah Rothbaum. He's the author of The Art of American Whiskey and the associate editor of the Oxford Companion to Spirits and Cocktails. It's a reference book that's close to 900 pages long. It's not a cheap book, but if you uh, average it out by the pound, it's actually a pretty good buy. Think, so. <laughs> As I said, I don't know a whole lot about whiskey. So Noah gives me a quick primer on how he approaches research. Remember how he asked me to send a photo of the tax stamp? Turns out the tax stamp can tell you a lot. Obviously, the government, since almost the beginning of the U.S., has been trying to tax the production of alcohol, right? That's what the whole whiskey rebellion's about. After the revolution, the U.S. government had a lot of debt and decided to tax distilled liquors. People didn't like that. Hence, back in the late 1700s, rebellion. Ever since that time, all whiskey bottles are required to have tax stamps on them. And those tax stamps offer clues. Basically, they change the tax stamp over time. So that's one way to date a bottle because most bottles don't have a date. So I called my friend Edgar Hardin in the UK. He does a company called the Old Spirits Company where they buy and sell bottles. And he was saying that basically, like before 73, the tax stamp would say the name of the importer or distributor. And since this one does not... It means it's from after 1973, and he thought from his expert opinion of looking at tax stamps all day and night that it's probably from the mid-70s, like the bottle, which if you told me that I would find tax stamps, like, fascinating, you know, before <laughs> everything... Okay, the so the bottle is from the mid-70s, which turns out to be a key period in Scotch history. In 1975, is kind of the high watermark for sales of Scotch in America. At the time, almost all Scotch, except for a very little bit, is blend. Blended scotch is huge. After 75, the whole market crashes. The distillers have to kind of reinvent themselves. This crash Noah's talking about, for years, distilleries were overproducing whiskey. Then in the mid-70s, there was a cultural shift. Younger people saw whiskey as the stuff their parents drank. The cool kids wanted vodka and rum. So whiskey companies had to do something. So they create this whole idea that single malts are for connoisseurs, Blends are kind of for rubes, and, you know, people in Scotland have always drunk single malt, which is not true <laughs> for the okay. most part. Right. But um, the blends back in the day were, were incredibly good, where now, obviously, mostly we talk about single malts. So a blend from the 70s might have been high-quality stuff. After inspecting the tax stamp, Noah did something else that, honestly, I can't believe I didn't think to do. This whole time, I had been searching for Ray Pavlik private stock, Ray Pavlik scotch whiskey. I was looking for Ray Pavlik like it was a brand or a company. But Noah was searching for a person named Ray Pavlik, and he found one. Ray Pavlik was a almost lifelong resident of New Jersey who ran kind of a local institution called the Nutcracker Inn in Garfield. He was the owner of the Nutcracker Inn. And ran it for like 30 years. Noah does have a subscription to a special database full of old newspaper articles, which helped his hunt. With that, all he had to do was punch in Ray Pavlik, Garfield, New Jersey, and boom, there's our guy. Noah tells me back in the 70s, it was pretty common for a bar to have their own private label bottles. Restaurants, airlines, hotels, essentially anyone could order a generic bottle of liquor from a distillery and slap their own name on it. Literally, the bar next door could have the exact same scotch with their name on it in a different bottle, and that's still done today. So this was either for people who were drinking at the Nutcracker Inn 
or you could possibly purchase it like as an alternative to J&B or Cuddy Sark. Was it actually an inn or was it like a bar and tavern that was just called an inn? It was a bar like that was called like an okay, inn. Okay, okay. So they weren't having overnight guests. Not on purpose anyway, I don't <laughs> think. You know what I mean? Right. Noah says while some blends from the 70s were very good, he's not super optimistic about how this one might taste. If you note from the, the label, it's very ornate, right? You know, it looks private stock and it's the lettering is, it seems very impressive. If you look closely, it says, you know, by popular requests, you know, special liqueurs. And it's almost a little bit too much, you know what I mean? Where it's like the lady doth protest too much. What Noah's saying is this label looks like it's trying very hard to convince you that the liquor inside is super fancy. To him, it looks like it's trying a little too hard. When Akil, Nisha, and I looked at the label and the name of the Nutcracker Inn, we imagined an esteemed international hotel or maybe a cozy upscale B&B that served rare imported spirits. But what Noah's describing to me sounds more like a dive bar. As he kept poking through old newspaper articles, Noah eventually landed on Ray Pavlik's obituary. He died in 1999. He was born in River Edge, New Jersey, which is not too far from there. He was a volunteer fireman. He had been like a member of the Civil Defense Special Police. He had even ran for councilman several times. And Ray had lived almost his whole life, except for eight years in Florida, in Orlando, in New Jersey. This is like a Springsteen song, right? I mean, he's living the dream. He's running the bar. People know him. He's got his name on a bottle of scotch. I mean, this is like, who wouldn't want to go there on a happy hour for, you know, uh, some, some of his Ray Pavlik's private stock on the rocks? I'd like to think of his sort of the unofficial councilman of Garfield, you know, holding court behind his bar, which, I mean, that's really the traditional purpose of a bar. This was where people did business. This is where people came to socialize. You know, they were the heart of the town. I love a bar that's a real, like, community gathering spot. This is really a piece of New Jersey history that you found. I feel like almost we should have Bruce Springsteen in the background singing a, a song about um, Ray Pavlik and, and, and this bottle. Forget Thunder Road. This is the story of New Jersey right here. I love that, Noah, but I'm not fully satisfied. I, I, oh, no. I mean, this thank you. Thank you. This has been right. fantastic. You did an incredible job with your research. But I'm still curious to learn more about Ray Pavlik and the Nutcracker Inn. That is the first half of a New Jersey whiskey mystery from our friends at The Sporkful. Tune in tomorrow for part two. You are not going to want to miss the smooth, smoky finish of this mysterious whiskey. Part two of a New Jersey whiskey mystery coming tomorrow. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. If approved, applications are typically funded the next business day or sooner. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. 
And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com.